Good morning, good morning, welcome, glad to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, good and glad to be together this morning as we, we're going to kick off a new sermon series as Pastor Pat mentioned earlier, um, three weeks ago, if you can remember that far back, that was the beginning of February and February's gone. Man, that's been fast. Three weeks ago, we just concluded our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, which we had been in for about a year and a half. And then two weeks ago, we had a mini-series between uh, the Gospel of John and where we're going to be at in Ephesians, where we spent some time reflecting, God, what have you done in the life of the church? And passed around the microphone and allowed people to give voice to the ways that you've seen God work and move in the life of you or in the lives of people that you know. And then last week, we capstoned reflecting with the idea of expectation, with expect, and what we believe God is going to continue to do in this imperfect but expectant church in Greeley, Colorado. And so today... Um, We open our Bibles to Ephesians. If you have it, uh, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. Um, If you know where John is, great. Go to the right and just continue to move to the right. Um, Kids, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians, and then you get to Ephesians. Yes, very good. Okay, so Ephesians, that's where we are at this morning. Um, We're looking at just the first two verses as we're doing an introduction into the uh, setting the stage, as it were, into what we have uh, ahead of us. And um, if you can um, uh, take a moment, we've got a sermon series title. I was going to see if we could get it on the screen. We might be able to do it. It's Gospel Life and Gospel Living. And uh, that's the sermon series that we have entitled this journey as we go through the book of Ephesians, Gospel Life and Gospel um, Living. And uh, this amazing book is so deep and it's so profound and it is the themes that we believe that we're going to find over and over again. There it is in this book is this idea of the gospel identity, what you have, if you are a professing believer and follower of Jesus, what you have in Christ. And Paul's going to take three chapters to mine that for as much as he possibly can. And then he's going to turn our attention to this gospel life that we now have in Christ and what it ought to produce in our lives, which is gospel living. That this new life is shaped and transformed by our new identity. And so that is what we have on the horizon for us. I'm excited about it. It's going to be oh so good. The sermon title for this morning is The Gospel Greeting. The gospel greeting and the roadmap uh, for our time really just has two main parts. And the first is I want to look at some context. I want to set the stage for where Ephesians fits into the story of the Bible. The who, what, when, where, why of it all. And then the second is I want to look at the message at a 30,000 foot view of what we're going to see as we walk ahead verse by verse through this amazing book of Ephesians. What things will we find? 
In some ways, it will be like a movie preview. Kids, what is a movie preview? Do you even know what a movie preview is? No, some of you don't. The shames of streaming, right there. You know, the things that you thought as a kid that your kids would experience, like being able to look forward to going to the movies and experiencing previews, they don't even know what that is anymore. That's so interesting. I digress. Um, this will be like a preview, a, an ability to look ahead as we consider all that God might have. So if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Only two verses, uh, but they are power-packed nonetheless. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the word of our God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. For many of us, this isn't the first time that you've opened your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. You may have studied it before privately. You may have even sat in a church that has taught through this amazing book, Praise God. Uh, this book has a special and unique place in my heart. Not only because I'm a teacher and a pastor and a preacher, which if you ever ask a teacher or pastor or preacher, what is your favorite book? it's more than likely the book they're currently in. Um, and so it's, it's, it, that's true. Um, but it's, it's, it's also true because of my experience with this book. Um, if you know a little bit of my story, and you know a little bit of Emily's story, the book of Ephesians played a significant role in our relationship when we started dating 17 or so years ago. It's a book that we studied together by God's grace where two young, one pretty humble and one pretty idealistic and sometimes over-passionate adults came together to study some very difficult, at times hard, but oh so good truths. In short, it caused a lot of late nights and even tears. Even moments of doubt for Emily and I in our relationship with one another. For it revealed how we saw the word of God. It revealed how we saw God and who he was and the role that Jesus played in our salvation and many, many, many other things. And it stretched us to the breaking point. But we can give testimony to the faithfulness of God's good work, the gift of humility, and God's unity that saw us through that. And when we look back over the last 16 or so years of our relationship, almost 14 of them in the context of marriage, we can see and we can point to the life transformative power of the word of God and what he did for us there. I share all of that to, uh, 
prepare us to expect, in part, maybe a similar journey. For the deep truths of Ephesians are not for the faint of heart. They are not for the prideful. They are, like God's word, transformative to the humble in spirit, to those that are dependent on the spirit to see, trust, and respond to God on God's terms about who he says he is and what he has done. And so with great expectation, we open this amazing book, the book of Ephesians, with desperate humility and ask God to show up unify us and continue to transform us by his word through his spirit among his people. Amen? All right, Ephesians. As we get into this book, let's look at some context, shall we? The first question that we should ask anytime we open up the word of God and we are anew opening it up here to study verse by verse through a book of the Bible is to ask this question, how does it fit into the larger story of the Bible? Right off the jump, we see in this greeting, it contains familiar elements of other writings found in other places. We see here, look at with me in verse one, a self-disclosed author, a guy by the name of Paul. Kids, who was Paul? Do you think you know this guy? Yeah, we got some hands in the back. Good for you, Ramona. Who is this guy, Paul? Right away we see that Paul has written to another group of people. In this context are the recipients. They're called saints who are in Ephesus. Now before we go too much further than that, we should stop and we should ask, how does this fit in the unified narrative, the story, the arc of Scripture? Why? Why should we ask that question? Because we believe that the Word of God is not a random collection of historical writings that contains some independent values or truths that might be good to live by. We don't think that's true. We believe that the word of God is revealing to us the grand united story of who God is. His eternal plan to display his glory through his redemptive work and to do that work through his son Jesus and to bring forth his kingdom by reconciling his chief creation, humanity, that has been broken and is rebellious against him back to himself. Now we believe a lot more about the Bible too, but specifically here we should ask, how does this book that we are in connect, highlight, and reveal more of the progressive story of the redemptive work of God in this world? We should be able to ask, and answer the question, who is Paul? Where did this guy come from? Who are these people that he's writing to? How do they know each other, and why does that all matter? If you're following along, and you've been with our church for a little while, you know that about two years ago, in the summer of 2022, we did a small little mini-series, about four weeks, if you can imagine, to summarize the entire Old Testament. And we made that sermon series called Prepare the Way, where we believe that the entire Old Testament, the 39 books that are on this side of your Bible, 
all point to prepare with great expectation the coming of Jesus. And then after we did that, we jumped into the Gospel of John and what did we see? We saw that Jesus, a man, put on flesh, became a man, was God, is God, put on flesh, became a man, and walked this life. That Jesus lived an amazing life. He died a sacrificial death and then rose victorious over the grave. Praise God. And that we know from the other gospel accounts that then Jesus ascended into heaven and then what happens next in the biblical stories? Kids, after the gospel, what happens next? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, right? That Jesus comes and he brings the inaugurative kingdom of God. He draws people to himself. He reconciles them. He forgives them, giving them new life. And then what happens? Jesus commissions them to the ends of the earth, empowered by his Holy Spirit. And we can't take all the time this morning to recap that amazing event and all the events in the book of Acts. So instead, you should go online and you should listen to it because before we preached in the Gospel of John, we preached out of the book of Acts. And so you too can find some of that. That God literally shakes up the world by shaking up the world of individuals and the gospel goes forth in power and might. People repent and they turn and they respond to the gospel that Jesus is Lord and Savior and like a rock thrown into still water, plop, the ripple effect goes out. Where people impacted by the gospel tell other people about the gospel and they too respond to the gospel and then they tell other people and then they tell other people and then they tell other people and the gospel that was here goes there and then soon it goes over there. And this gospel movement hits resistance. Enter a guy named Saul. Saul is a zealous dude a zealous, zealous Jew, and he persecutes the followers and the church of Jesus. And in so doing, he heads out to capture and to kill followers of Jesus. And on the way, what a biblical picture of the gospel. On the road of rebellion, what happens? Kids, who does Saul meet on the road? Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Jesus invades Saul's life and he pulls him out of the domain of darkness and he transfers Saul into the kingdom of Jesus. You can read all about that in Acts chapter nine. You should do that this week. Read Acts chapter nine and see all that God did in the life of Saul. Saul, through the anointing work of the Holy Spirit, he's set apart by Jesus for Jesus' mission to bring the gospel to the Gentile world, and he goes on not one, not two, but three missionary journeys, spreading and cultivating the kingdom of God as individuals respond to the gospel, people gather together, and the church, the churches, the outposts for the gospel begin to be birthed. One such trip. 
his last trip. Saul, also known by his Greek name Paul, came to an area of Ephesus where he spent three years cultivating the gospel in the lives of hearts of both Jews and Gentiles. All of that is recorded in Acts chapter 19 and the tail end of Acts chapter 20. You should go there and you should read what God did amongst this community. It's believed that Paul spent about three years in Ephesus, somewhere between AD 52 and AD 57. And then five years later, approximately, he writes this letter back to this group of people that he loves and cares for and has cultivated the gospel in while he's in house arrest in Rome. It's a letter authored by Paul giving them encouragement and challenge to the people and the churches that had developed as an outpost for the kingdom of God miles and miles away from where it all started. Some might even say like a whole other world. So what about Ephesus? Ephesus is the city located in the dead center of the map. It's on the western edge of what is modern day Turkey. It's directly east from a city called Corinth, which Paul also spent significant time in. Ephesus was a significant trading city at the time, and it was the capital region of Asia Minor, not to be confused with the later continent of Asia. This city is thought to have housed over 200,000 people at the time when Paul comes and cultivates the gospel message. Archaeologists have found the remains of an ancient theater which seated around 24,000 people at one time. At the center of its culture sat the worship of a, a, an, an Ephesian goddess named Artemis. She's the goddess of fertility. And there's significant commerce during this time that's built up around her. There's 39 local shrines that have been found sprawling across the region of Asia Minor unto her. Yet in Ephesus sat her lavish temple. Some um, some experts estimate that it had pillars 60 feet high into the sky. That the building was 425 feet by 225 feet, which would eclipse the size of a modern football field. It's massive. It was four times the size of the Parthenon, which was in Athens at the time. Needless to say, it was the largest building in the Greek world. This is where the gospel of Jesus Christ invaded. A large, multi-ethnic city with a wide range of economic and social uh, disparities. This is its context, and this is its writer. 
So what about the greeting message? What about the message? It's into this context that the kingdom of God continues to expand and grow, which Paul here later writes his letter into. It's not addressing like specific church issues or theological concerns like Paul does in other places. Instead, Paul writes Ephesians as the central issues of following Jesus. First, the new identity that we have as his followers, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then the massive ramifications for all of life in chapters 4, 5, and 6. This amazing book will focus on what God has done through his historic work in Jesus as Christ empowers his new creation and his new society and his new people with his Holy Spirit in the midst of the old world, the old kingdom. This massive theme is even found here at the very beginning of this greeting. Look at it with me carefully. Verse one, part two. Who are the recipients of Paul's letter? It is addressed to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints are those that are holy, that are set apart. And this proclamation of status that Paul calls the the Ephesians to is, is only possible because of what God has done in the face of Jesus. Look with me as we continue this train of thought. Here too, the recipients are called to be in Christ the end of verse one, that we're united to Jesus by faith in him, resulting in, continue the train of thought, grace and peace and God as our father, verse two. This phrase, grace and peace, although somewhat like commonplace, customary, is nothing less than the gospel message in a couple words. Grace and peace, for it is God's grace that he has freely given to us, that produces relational peace with God. In short, this amazing opening greeting points to the flavor and the forecoming blessings that individuals still in the kingdom of this world now have as children of God, occupying space in his forever family as members of God's greater and grander kingdom. What follows this greeting are the deep and profound truths of that new identity. Let's fly over them at 30,000 feet together. Ephesians chapter one, we're gonna see our chosen status, the reality that we are blameless and holy, that we have sonship and daughtership, that we are um, experienced redemption, inheritance, that we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, just to name a few. Chapter two is gonna speak of our fleshly and dead state prior to knowing and experiencing the gospel of Jesus. It will speak to the reality that God, right, but God, extended grace to us who are undeserving, resulting in being one, one in Christ. And then chapter three is gonna talk about us being one to one another that all people are gonna be brought under the banner of Jesus as Lord and Savior, that the church is the means by which this is actually gonna happen. All of which speaks to the new identity, the gospel life, that those following Jesus now have. 
And this gospel life ought to produce gospel living. For in chapter 4, it's going to challenge us to consider that our unity is a powerful force for gospel and kingdom advancement. Calling church leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That we should be preoccupied with the work of the new self. Putting to death the work of the old. The old way of life. Chapter 5 is going to challenge us to be imitators of God, walking in love, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. It challenges our relationships as husbands and wives, our relationships as parents to our children. And then chapter 6 is going to challenge our relationships with those outside of our family unit. Do you see? It's all of life. And finally, chapter 6 calls us to keep alert, guarding ourselves with the tools of war, reminding us who our true enemies are and how we fight that battle. Grace and peace, gospel life and gospel living. Like what better way to start a letter that speaks to our new identity and our new life than to open it with those first two verses. Amen? To saints, the holy ones who have faith in Jesus and in so doing are in Christ. We are in this world, yes, but more than that, we are in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are principally marked by him and for him. Let the gospel of grace and peace, God's good work done for you in the face of Jesus, his life, his death, and his glorious resurrection for payment for sin, our sin that should have brought forth punishment, all of that is placed on Jesus for those who believe in him. That is the means by which we can be reconciled back to God, all his grace, resulting in rich and lasting peace removing the hostility and in its place providing perfect fellowship and our ability to call him Father. All because of his son, Jesus. This letter, written by the Apostle Paul to a specific group of believers in a specific time and place, as is with God's word, is also for you and for me. Who are here today, some 2,000 years later, professing belief and a desire to follow Jesus. As we walk through this amazing letter together, we believe as a leadership team that God will continue to use his word among his people, empowered by his spirit to edify the church. And though, although we are not in first century Ephesus, dealing with their specific challenges like peer pressure, to conform to the lifestyle and worship of a God named Artemis, this letter will speak to our own unique challenges that mask and distract from the beauty of the gospel life and the gospel living that Christ is calling each and every one of us to. I trust it will deepen our love and our affection for all that God our Father has done in the face of Jesus. And then... It will continue to call us towards Christ's likeness as we consider gospel living that flows out of the gospel life that you now have.
Church, it is going to be a great study because our God is a great God. And his word is a deep, deep well. I would encourage you to dive in with us as we begin this journey. Read through Ephesians individually. Read through Ephesians as a family and come with humble expectation to all that God might have. Knowing that as we behold God for who he says he is in the word, that he's gonna deepen our understanding and our foundation in the gospel life that we now have in him and he will produce gospel living that glorifies him and is for our great joy. Amen? Amen. It is gonna be a great, great sermon series because God's word is great. Let us pray. Lord God, you are great and greatly to be praised. Thank you for your word as a guiding lamp as a transformative tool in our lives, Lord God, we would be lost. How could we even answer the question, who is you? Who are you? What are you like? What are you up to? And what do you have for us? But Lord God, you give us your word. So may we be good students of you. May we be good listeners of you through your word as we consider this um, amazing privilege to come up under your word and be students of it. Lord God, would you, by your Spirit's power, draw near to us that you would deepen our understanding of the gospel life that we have in you, our deep, deep, deep identity. And then, Lord God, would that be fuel to produce the gospel living, the gospel life that you want us to walk in so that you would get all the glory and that it would be for our great joy. We love you. We walk in faith, anticipating all that you will do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As the band comes back up to sing one last song and we respond, I would encourage you to, to stand and let us lift with one voice words to our King.